Thank you so much, choir. Open your Bibles again, please, to the book of Joshua. If you'll find Joshua chapter 5 this morning, please. Uh, Joshua chapter 5. Think about this. Have you ever had a moment that forever changed your life? Uh, it may have been something dramatic, maybe a near-death experience. Uh, perhaps it was something more joyful, like marrying your sweetheart or the birth of your first child. Or maybe it was something very painful. Uh, maybe a terminal disease of a loved one or the death of a family member. You know, Joshua had a moment that I believe forever changed his life. And we find that story in Joshua chapter 5. And it's in the last verses of that chapter, if you find it, please. And I want to read it and we want to study it together today. Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. I want to show you a moment that I believe forever changed Joshua's life, Joshua chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. The Bible says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, beloved, I don't know if you realize it or not, but what we have here in these few verses is we have Jesus in the book of Joshua. Jesus in the book of Joshua. What we would call a Christophany in theological terms. You know, Jesus, who is God and as God is eternal, has always existed and will always exist. He did not have his beginning in Bethlehem as that babe in the manger. That was the beginning of His humanity where you had perfect God who's always existed, became man, perfect man, joined together forever. The incarnation, Jesus who is God, became man without ceasing to be God. But here in Joshua, this is the pre-incarnate, pre-Bethlehem babe Jesus there. And He appeared as a man and He appeared as the captain of the army of the Lord, a Christophany. Now, this is not the first time or the only time, rather I should say, that uh, he appeared in the Old Testament. Where it's been noted that to Abraham the pilgrim, you know, the Lord came as a traveler to share in a friendly meal in Genesis chapter 18. To Jacob the schemer, he came as a wrestler with Jacob uh, in order to put him in a place of submission in Genesis chapter 32. We know that in Daniel chapter 3 that a fourth man appeared in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we believe that also was the Lord Jesus. And then here in Joshua, we have him appearing as the captain of the army of the Lord. You know, he mentioned that our Lord always comes to us when we need him and in the way we need him. And oh, how we need Jesus. They're just saying, where could we go? but to the Lord. Our lives are filled with decisions, uncertainty, fear, and let's just be honest, sometimes confusion. 
Sometimes we don't know the right way to go or the right thing to do. I read about a story about a family who uh, moved into a new neighborhood. And, and one morning they overslept. And uh, Jimmy, the youngest, missed his ride on the bus. And that's a big deal when you, you miss the bus ride. And so his dad offered to, to drive him to school. And the problem was the dad didn't know where the school was. So they started out and Jimmy's in the back seat giving directions. And they go a few blocks and make a left turn, then a right. They continue along the route. And they made several other turns. And about 25 minutes later, they finally arrived at Jimmy's school. But much to the father's amazement, the school was quite close to their home. Jimmy, he said, how come you took us so far around? And Jimmy said very apologetically, I'm sorry, Dad, that's how the bus goes. It's the only way I know. <laughs> and we're like that at times, aren't we? We only know one way. We know that one route. And all of a sudden, we face something that we are not ready for. And we don't know which way to go. We don't know which way to turn. We need direction. We need guidance. We need leadership. We need assurance. We need help. And Joshua was going to find that and so much more here in his encounter with the Lord. The Lord Jesus as he appears as the commander of the Lord's army. So let's walk through. It's just a short passage. Let's walk through what happened here. And then we'll come back and learn some lessons. Joshua, it says here in the scripture, was near Jericho. Near Jericho. The original language, they tell me, lends itself to mean that he was quite close to Jericho. Perhaps he was looking at those walls that surrounded Jericho. Perhaps he was planning and strategizing, maybe even praying about how in the world they're going to conquer Jericho with these walls. And from all that I can see here in the passage, it appears that he was alone. So you can imagine his surprise, beloved, when he comes upon all of a sudden another person and he sees someone else. And not just anyone, he sees a soldier. And not just a soldier, but a soldier with a sword drawn. And Joshua, being a courageous man, being a warrior, he challenges this unknown soldier. He says basically, friend or foe, whose side are you on? Are you on our side or are you on the enemy's side? And instead of giving a direct answer, Joshua received a glorious revelation when he hears these words. No, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And beloved Joshua, he uh, hits the ground, he falls on his face, he worships. And then he asks the Lord, he, he prays these words, what does my Lord say to his servant? And Joshua is instructed to do what uh, Moses had to do at the burning bush. He said, remove your sandals from off your feet because the place where you are standing is holy ground. And Joshua obeyed. Now, beloved, the storyline is simple. The passage is short, but the lessons are extraordinary. There are lessons that Joshua needed to learn in his own life and there are lessons that you and I as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ need to learn. And so I want you to jot these down if you would. Some lessons from this encounter that Joshua had with Jesus here in Joshua chapter 5. Please note that when it comes to our Lord, notice, beloved, that He is present. He is present. Now you remember that Joshua is now the leader of God's people. Moses is dead. We talked about that in, earlier in this series. 
And Joshua is tasked with this monumental um, campaign to conquer the promised land that God has given to them. But they've got to go in and do battle and drive out those that are there. You remember when God was commissioning and encouraging Joshua back in the first chapter, he promised to be with Joshua. In fact, listen to these verses again. You can jot the reference down. In Joshua 1.5, the Lord says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, the Lord says to Joshua, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You'll have the Lord's presence with you. And then the people of Israel, who are now under Joshua's leadership, they express their desire for the Lord to be with Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 17, Just as we heeded Moses in all things... So we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. The people of Israel understood, beloved. And we need to understand the Lord's presence with us makes all the difference in the world. The Lord's presence with us makes all the difference in the world. And as believers, we're not only privileged to have the Lord's presence with us. We, beloved even have God indwelling inside of us through His Holy Spirit. The Bible says that all that are followers of Jesus, those who repent of their sin and place their faith in Christ, they're indwelt. The Holy Spirit literally takes up residence within them. Beloved, we are never alone. We're never on our own. We're never left to our own resources. Now, that ought to thrill you. I want to say that again because I don't know if you caught what I just said. We are never alone. We're never on our own as believers. We're never left to our own resources. He is present with us. We may choose to foolishly go our own way and make unwise decisions. But we always have available to us the Lord's presence. Our God is near. Our God is here right now. In fact, it says He even indwells us through His Holy Spirit. And Joshua, that night, is just going out maybe looking at those giant walls and looking at that massive city and thinking about that. He was not alone. And likewise, the spiritual battles that we face in our lives, beloved, we're not alone in those. We have the Lord's presence with us. He is present. Hallelujah. And because He is present, beloved, can I just remind you, He is in control because He is God. Because he's God, he's in control. I, I love what the Lord says in response to Joshua's question. Because Joshua says basically, for friend or foe, whose side are you on, soldier? Are you for them or for us? And the Lord says, no. But as the commander of the army of the Lord have I now come. As has been well said, beloved, God hasn't come to take sides. He's come to take over. And the sooner we realize that, the better off we'll be. Uh, another note that that response put everything in proper perspective. God is sovereign. It is never a question whether God is on our side, but whether we are on God's side. You may have heard that during the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln was supposedly asked if God was on his side. You know, there were those who loved Lincoln and those who hated Lincoln, obviously. And so they asked him, 
if God was on his side, here's what he said. Sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. Joshua was reminded that night, so very long ago, as he was standing near to Jericho, that um, he was not ultimately in control. Joshua's reminded, I, I'm not ultimately in control here. I, I might be the leader of the army of Israel, but I'm outranked by the captain of the army of the Lord. He was reminded, beloved, that the battle is the Lord's. And can I just remind you today, it's still the Lord's battle. It's still the Lord's battle. And Joshua submits and he asks the Lord to speak to him. What does the Lord have to say to my servant? And we have to wonder, what exactly did the Lord tell him? Because we're not told all of that here. Um, maybe this is where the Lord kind of outlines the plan to conquer Jericho. Because it was an unusual tactic, to say the least, that you're not going to attack. You're just going to march around, march around, and march around. Uh, what else did the Lord say to Joshua in that meeting where they were there? Well, obviously, we don't know at all. But what a help it must have been for Joshua to receive encouragement and direction and instruction from the Lord himself, from the captain of the Lord's army. Let me ask you something. What about that burden that you're bearing today? What about your problem? What about your issue? What about the direction that you're wrestling with? Have you talked to the Lord about it? Have you gone and prayed to him about it? Have you gone to the Scripture and searched them out and see if there are commands or principles there that might give you guidance? Have you listened to Him in, your, in His Word? You know, some people, all they can see uh, are problems. Problems. They're, they're problem conscious. Adrian Rogers in one of his sermons said, you know, there are a lot of folks who are problem conscious. All they do is walk around and look at Jericho and say, can't be done, can't be done, can't be done. And he told a story about a man who had never seen a railroad train before. And this was back in the days when, when trains were just coming to their own. And he went to a little county seat town and, and there was his first railroad train, a steam locomotive. You ever been up close to one of those things? You notice how massive they are and how incredible looking they are. And he saw it. He'd never seen one before. And there it stood before him. The big iron engine and the string of freight cars out the back. And he looked at it and he surveyed it and he thought about it. And he was a cynic and he was negative. And all he could say is it will never move. They'll never get that thing going. It'll never move. They'll never get it going. But finally it was time for that train to leave. And the engineer sitting there in the cab, he pushed the lever and steam went down into the cylinders. And the cylinders began to move and, and they began to move the wheels and the wheels began to move and they called hold and the train started to move and it started to move more and it kept going and clickety-clack, clickety-clack. And the first thing you know, that train was leaving and it picked up speed and it's going by and those freight cars are falling behind it and it disappeared into the distance. And all you could see was the taillight of that caboose on that train. And that man who was problem conscious and, and a cynic and negative, he stood there and he looked at it and he watched it go off and he said, they'll never get that blame thing stopped. <laughs> All he could see were problems. Nothing but problems. Nothing but negative. Nothing but it can't be done. 
And beloved, God does not want us to focus on the problems. God wants us to focus on Him. Not the circumstances, not the troubles, not the issues we're dealing with, but lift our eyes above that and place them on the captain of the host, the captain of the Lord's army, the Lord Jesus Himself, and realize that He is in charge. And the battle belongs to Him. He is present. He's with us. As God, He's in complete and total control. Nothing is out of His control. Nothing's out of His hands. He's sovereign. And beloved, can I just remind you of this as well? He is worthy of worship. He is worthy of worship. I want you to notice here in this passage that Joshua, he falls on his face in worship. He falls on his face. I like what one man said about him. He said, Joshua never stood taller in the presence of the Lord than when he lay prostrate at his feet on Jericho's plain. Can I just remind you, beloved, the way up is down. And I find it significant, beloved, when this took place. Now remember, this encounter happened before Jericho. You think about Jericho, you think about the walls that fell down. It happened before Ai, which we studied another time, and all the rest that would come. Before they went to Jericho, he meets the Lord as the captain of the army of the Lord. And there he is, he falls on his face. And it's a reminder, a very important reminder, that we need to worship the Lord before we work for the Lord. We need to worship the Lord before we work for the Lord. I think one of the reasons we struggle so much and we get so weak and spiritually dry is because we work more than we worship. So what are you saying, preacher? Well, listen, I know that working for the Lord and serving Him is so important. And you all are so faithful at doing that. We're so blessed as a church family to have a host of workers. The majority of our church family, they're involved in some aspect of the ministry here. And I'm also aware that working for the Lord is a form of worship. But when I say that we need to worship before we work, I think you know what I mean. We must be still before the Lord and realize that He is God. To be alone with Him. To quit moving and worship Him. You know, sometimes it's easier to work than it is to worship. To be still and know that He is God. It was in this place of worship, in this holy place, on this holy ground, Joshua removes his sandals, his shoes. And he surrenders. And he submits. And he calls himself the Lord's servant. You see, beloved, when we stop the activity and we get alone with the Lord, it helps to remind us that we are not in control. And ultimately, the ministry doesn't really depend upon us. And we're reminded in those quiet places before the Lord that we are weak. And we do lack knowledge. And we are human. And we need His strength. 
and we need His help. And it's in those quiet moments where we find renewal and refreshing and reviving to go out and serve the Lord and labor for Him. It's at this place when we're quiet before the Lord that the eyes of faith are opened. And as we're pondering the Lord and talking with Him and learning about Him and reading His Word and praying to Him, we begin to see more and more just how glorious and mighty and wonderful He really is. What all was entailed what all is entailed in Jesus being the captain of the army of the Lord? What all is involved in that? You find it interesting that's what he said about himself when he met Joshua. I'm captain of the army of the Lord or captain of the Lord's host. What all is entailed in that, by the way? Well, I love the story from the life of Elisha. Just, just jot this reference down. Let me read it to you. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. And when the servant of the man of God, that's Elijah's servant, arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant, that is Elisha's servant, said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? There's this giant army out. What are we going to do? And in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 16, so he answered, here's Elijah's words, Do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. (laughs) Now I want you to put yourself in that servant's sandals. And and there you are talking to Elisha. And you just went out and there's army all around. And you come back and say, what are we going to do? And there you are with Elisha. And he says, don't worry about it. There are more with us than with them. And you're thinking, Really? And then verse 17, I love verse 17 of 2 Kings 6. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. I want you to hear what he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I get chills just reading that. Open his eyes, Lord. Let him really see. And he did. And he saw there were more with them, and it was the Lord's army. You see, beloved, when it says that the Lord was the captain of the army of the Lord... It wasn't just talking about the soldiers that were under Joshua's care. The Lord has a heavenly host. A heavenly host. You remember what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 53? He says, Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and He will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? Now, legions don't mean a lot to us, but MacArthur noted that a Roman legion was comprised of 6,000 soldiers. So he basically said that he, had, he could call more than 72,000 angels at that moment. Now, think about that 
you say, well, 72,000, that's pretty good, but you know, how strong is that army? Well, in 2 Kings chapter 19 and verse 35, a single angel killed 185,000 men in one night. 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 34. A single, excuse me, 35. 2 Kings 19, 35. A single angel killed more than 185,000 men in a single night. So imagine what 72,000 angels could do in one night. You see, beloved, the Lord has all power Himself. He's all powerful. And then He has created a powerful, angelic army to do His bidding. We really do need to grasp more of His greatness, His his might, His power. To worship God and get to know Him as He really is will do more to build your faith than you can imagine. To realize His might and His glory and His power. To know Jesus is the captain of the army of the Lord. Sometimes the Lord may even surprise us in how He works. Um, A a Quechua Indian pastor named Camillo Um, served high up in the Andes, Um, he he told about how a group of townspeople had plotted to beat him and uh, kill him and his family. But nothing came of it. I want to read you the transcript of Camillo's words. One day our neighbors asked my wife, Is it true that you take soldiers to your house every night to guard you? That's what they say. The other afternoon when people come from the cooperative went to your house, they saw many soldiers going back and forth by your doorway. When they saw that, they were really frightened. So much so they don't remember their return. Filled with fear, they scattered in every direction. Now listen to what Camilla said. We told them that we had not taken even one soldier to our house. We thought God probably sent His angels. Then we gave thanks to God. Did you grasp what I just read to you? There was a servant of God under threat. Had no literal, physical means of protection. And when those would come to do him harm, their eyes were opened and they saw the soldiers guarding the angelic army of the Lord. Beloved, you remember, I hope the Scripture says, if God be for us, who can be against us? The battle is the Lord. Remember today, and whatever you're facing, child of God, He's with you. He's in control. You can trust Him. And He's worthy of your worship. Let's pray. Father, I don't know what you're saying to these men and women right now by your Spirit. I don't know how it is that you're guiding them. But I pray that whatever it is that you're doing in their heart and life, that they would be submissive and cooperative. Lord, that you would help us to really, really, really take in these truths we've learned today. To trust you. To worship you. To lift our eyes above our problems and our circumstances. And 
set them on Jesus. Lord, you alone are worthy of worship and praise. May we give that to you because you are God alone. There is no other. Bless this invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I couldn't help but think that the most appropriate song to sing in closing is number three, worthy of worship, worthy of praise. You don't know this great God we've been talking about today. I'd love to introduce Him to you. Just step out from where you are and come and we'd love to talk with you about Christ. If God is leading you to come and pray about something, we would invite you to do that. The altar is open. Would you stand with me? The invitation's clear, I hope. Number three, worthy of worship, worthy of praise. You come as God leads you.